Howdy ho, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Rebel Starbuck with you on Shooting the Shizat this week. Dylan Broda, my co-host with me. Dylan, what's happening? Yeah, we are bright and early here in Helsinki because we got a special dandy, a gym dandy of an interview, I guess, happening uh, just in a, in a few minutes. That's right. We got Sam Adonis, one of the top independent pro wrestlers. He's the brother of Corey Graves, the uh, announcer from WWE. And anyway, uh, we've got Sam on the line, he's Skyping with us from Tokyo. Yeah. He's uh, at the All Japan, I believe it's the the, the Carnival, the, the Carnival Champion Carnival Tournament. Oh, yeah. Every year they have it, so it's the age-old Carnival Championships. Anyway, uh, and um, yeah, Sam has made it big in pro wrestling because he's the Donald Trump guy. He's the guy that went to Mexico. He was in the NXT system. He was in FCW, I think, in Florida before NXT, if I recall correctly. Um, I wrestled this guy in uh, in a six-man tag hmm. back in Germany in 2014. Right. And uh, he reminded me, the way that he moved, of course, I never wrestled before with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin when he was stunning Steve Austin in WCW, but really, Sam Adonis reminded me so much in the way that he moved, his body language, his intensity, everything about him. He he was like an he was like a young Steve Austin. Wow, that's yeah. a pretty huge compliment, I think. Yeah, yeah. And anyways, uh, he's also a funny guy. I swear, especially when he gets drunk. <laughs> no, he's sometimes most, most of the time people are. I guess that's yeah. The thing. Well, the thing is that when Sam when Sam got drunk, he he used to hate pro wrestling to the to the tits. And uh, when he uh, when he was sober, of course, uh, sometimes he loved it. So well, there you go. It was like on and off. <laughs> it's that uh, love to hate or hate to love business in a lot of people's minds anyway. Yeah, yeah love-hate relationship. There you go. But anyway, uh, Sam, Sam Adonis, one of the funniest guys in the pro wrestling business, honestly. Um, I, I really like the guy. He's, he's very talented. Uh, he found an angle that worked as far as he found an approach that was uh, relatable to an audience outside of America, which was the Donald Trump angle that he would go to Mexico when Trump was campaigning and right before he became president, right when he, uh, I guess right after when he, he did get picked as president, and he rubbed those Mexican people the wrong way in the right way, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's and the way to do it. Exactly, and he would wave the Donald Trump flag, so it's the U.S. flag with Donald Trump's face on it. When he'd come to the ring, people, the Rudos, I mean, well, okay, so he was the Rudo, but people, they would absolutely despise him. They, they want to see him get his ass kicked. Yeah. That's the kind of heat that you want. You want to be the guy that people want to see get their ass kicked because that's when people buy tickets and they'll pay money to see you get whipped. That's it. And uh, so he found that angle. He's been super successful with it. He's taken it to Japan, to all Japan pro wrestling, because the thing is that uh, if, if I still, you know, if I stand correct in this assessment, uh, I remember Ultimo Dragon, Yoshihiro Asai, was, uh, he's living in, I still believe like part-time, he's living in, in Mexico City, even back in 1995. Yeah. Um, when I was wrestling for IWA in hmm. Winnipeg, Manitoba, that Don Callis was the booker back then. Tony Candela was the uh, oh, yeah. was the, the, the promoter. On that tour, we had, uh, by the way, we had Rick Martell. We had Bad News Allen, Bad News Brown. Oh, yeah. Uh, we cool had, tour. We had Edge. 
hmm. Adam Copeland, or yeah. as he was known back then, Sexton Hardcastle. <laughs> yeah, not uh, controversial at all. No, no, it's the double <laughs> entendre. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, we had uh, Chris Jericho, we had Yoshihiro Asai, the Ultimo Dragon, Lance Storm, whatnot. Um, and the thing is that uh, I was the driver yeah. for, for Yoshihiro Asai, Ultimo Dragon back then. And every day I'd take him to the gym. Right, even because we had one hotel that we were stationed out of for yeah. the entire tour for a one week tour in Manitoba, and during our our you know the days we'd we'd go and we'd train at the gym in the evenings we'd wrestle, and um, I had a car, and it was me and Joe Legend that we, right. we drove yeah. down from uh, from Ontario to to Winnipeg. I guess you drove up. Yeah, no, no. We, well, we <laughs> we drove across. I guess yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're, we, you're we, from we drove way up west. There. Way we drove up west. there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So we drove, and uh, so I it was my car, and every day we'd take uh, Ultimo Dragon, or I'd take him to the to the gym. Yeah. And one day Ultimo, he was so taken by the fact that this Greenhorn rookie. It was my second year in pro wrestling, my sophomore year, and he he was so taken by the fact that you know, of course, I was humble, and and I went out of my way to accommodate him that he asked me. You want to go to Mexico? I go, uh, yeah, I'd love to go to Mexico, but I don't know how to wrestle Lucha Libre. Hmm. So, oh, Lucha Libre, easy. Uh, you you give me tape. I bring to Mexico. You know, and it was like, you know, so he, he's offering to take my VHS tape because that's how we wow. did it back then. Yeah, right? yeah. You put your matches on a VHS. And and he'd take it to the to the office in Mexico City for a CMLL. Hmm. Cool. And, and I, was, I was afraid. I was scared because... Uh, in Mexico, they 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 wrestle from the right side. Yeah, right. right. I, I guess and, it's that op- opposite. Yeah, it's the opposite. It's like in France, the same thing. I don't know why. But Is it's, it in France? I yeah, didn't it's know also that. in yeah. France. Yeah, in Spain, France, and Mexico. Anyway, so they wrestle from the right side, and you have to le- like relearn everything. Mm. And also, I was like really wary of the fact that uh, back then that. Um, the acrobatic style, I was, because I, I wasn't acrobatic, like, in that way. I'm not yeah. a spot monkey, right? It's not mm. my style. And I didn't take the chance. You mm. know, it was it was handed to me on a silver platter. It's the biggest regret of my career to oh, this yeah. day. Yeah, that, that I didn't take the chance back then. It's a tough one. I mean, but you I can't put myself into those shoes, because, of course, every, I bet everybody, you know, would say, well, I would take it, you know, but then are you really going to put yourself right there, standing there, and then thinking about, okay, I got to then relearn how to do everything. And, and I'm sure there's, at that time especially, there was quite a um, a lot that might have pushed you away from going down to Mexico, because, I mean, that's a far ways away, and so many different factors in there. But yeah. uh, and, and also the fact that, I mean, it's like, well, okay, then there's language barrier, of course, yeah. uh, everything else. But being the fact that it was my second year, it's like you're still finding your sea legs, so to speak. And uh, because of that, you're a little bit touchy as far as not knowing quite where you stand. That's it. Right. But anyway, we'll get Sam Adonis on the line. We'll be back with you in just a second after hearing from our sponsors, and we will be back in a jiffy. Estrada Creative Helsinki, your brand and story with the strength of modern marketing. Social media gets your brand and message in your audience's hands, and your story with the boost of marketing and videography is your strongest means of persuasion. That's where Estrada Creative Helsinki gets involved. Check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Estrada Creative Helsinki. Marco Simonen offers photography and video production for business and marketing. In addition, Editorial and portrait work welcome. 
For more, see marcosimonen.com. That's M-A-R-K-O-S-I-M-O-N-E-N.com. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, we're back with you on Shooting the Shizat this week. And on the other end of the line, I've got Sam Adonis all the way from Tokyo, Japan. Sambo, how you doing? I'm living the dream, brother, doing the thing in another country, at another time zone, just uh, making towns, as the old boys would say. That's nice, man. You know, the thing is, I just said, I just told the folks here before we hooked up with you, on our podcast that you're one of the guys like in modern days that found an angle that worked an approach that was relevant to uh to a larger populace uh you were able to parlay your talent especially now in mexico that was where you really made it uh and uh then you took your mexican success and you were able to bring that now worldwide for example to the carnival champion carnival tournament uh, in japan which i think is taking place right now right uh, yeah, that's why I'm over here this time. It's 18 days, uh, 29 days, and it's Japanese strong style at its best. So I'm a, I'm a mess right now. It's a day off, and my shoulder's bruised up. My chest is all beat up with chops, and uh, it's all Japan pro wrestling at its best, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. That's but, it. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky because uh, I, I'm a bit of a student of the game. You know, my dad was a promoter, and my brother being, you know, Corey Graves from WWE, Growing up around it, I'm you know probably a bit more sick and more passionate about wrestling than 99% of wrestlers, which is why you know I was able to attain the success I have been able to attain. But I think more or less it comes down to the persistence. You know, uh, I struck gold in Mexico, you know, due to the elections and the timing and just being a heel. But you know, if it didn't happen, then it would have happened due to my you know overwhelming persistence and love for the wrestling business. Which, uh, I mean, I, I can tell, you know, being friends with you for a long enough time, it's, you know, it's a rare quality to find now. And it seems like it kind of brings some of us together when you do find another wrestler that shares that uh, sickness, if you will. Yeah, the thing is that I think that especially nowadays, it's uh, for some reason, I, I think it's part of this, um, what I deem to be the, the fast food culture. I call it Google culture. It's like right here, right now, in this multi-second, I want my... Uh, my reimbursement or I want my goodies or whatever you want on the table. And I think people are, they've been conditioned to get instantaneous like gratification, instant satisfaction. And and I think that it's like Simon Sinek, this one guy that I'm not sure if you heard of this guy before, but anyway, he's not a wrestling guy. He's a business guy. Uh, but he says that like with the millennial generation, the thing that where instant gratification doesn't work are two areas of, of, of life. And one of them is relationships the other one is the job market. And and with, especially with pro wrestling, uh, you've got to be able to endure the climb. You've got to be able to put in the hours, the days, the years, paying your dues and working your way up the ladder. Would you agree with me? Uh, you're, you've hit the nail on the head early on here. Um, and that's, the, in my opinion, the difference between myself and a lot of the wrestlers in the business right now. Um, I'm a professional. I've made my living doing this for the last eight years. Um, right now, we live in this you know social gratification era where everything's about retweets, followers, and you know instant success. And there might be guys out there that are internet viral and that are the hottest thing in wrestling right here, right now, today. But they will have no shelf life. You know, they will disappear. This you know the the, the bubble will burst. You know, wrestling comes and goes in cycles. And right now, you know. 
luckily there is a lot of work out there on the independent scene, but many of these guys have to kill themselves to attain their attention. And, you know, it's going to come and go. And like you said, it's just going to be, you know, a, a instantaneous, you know, uh, cultural thing. It's that this generation that doesn't know how to maintain it. I, on the other hand, have been able to, you know, play tortoise in the hair and do it right over the years, hone my craft, travel and work, whereas I've almost sacrificed the immediate internet attention. However, I've been able to maintain a steady income and work for the most prestigious companies on earth, you know, without being a viral flash. Yeah, Dylan over here, uh, Sam, um, I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about that and uh, specifically about the amount of work that uh, is existing right now outside of the I guess the number one financially speaking company in the world, WWE, and that uh, since you've been in the business for uh, you know roughly eight years or or more, and uh, do you find uh, that the actual amount of work for independent pro wrestlers um, has increased dramatically, or has it always been roughly around the same as it is now? Well, I've been wrestling professionally. Uh, I've been eight years full-time, which means I haven't had another job for eight years, but I've been wrestling for 11 years and I grew up in the wrestling business. So I've been promoting shows with my dad since I was about you know 12 years old. So uh, I'd like to think that I've been around and seen some shit, you know, more than a lot of guys, you know, at least at my age, you know, being 29, I don't think there's too many 20 or 29 year olds that have, you know, seen as much of the wrestling business as I have. But uh, I, I know, I don't think it's nearly as, as hot and as, uh, as popular as people tend to make it out to be. Um, it's a segmented market. There's certain crowds, certain companies that are busy. Certain wrestlers are busy and they're doing great and that's fine. However, um, the bottom line is money and dollars generated. And, and, you know, WWE's kicking ass. They're doing their own thing. They don't even count. But, you know, years ago there would be wrestling shows, you know, every night of the week in any other city in the United States that were drawing thousands of people, you know, and there might've been, you know, a thousand guys world or in, a, in the United States making a living on the wrestling business. They could buy their cars, they could pay for their bills. They could buy, you know, their wives things because of being a professional wrestler. Now there might be more shows and some of them may appear to be, you know, busy because you tweet about them and people might get a thousand retweets about a sold out show in Chicago. However, the money being generated, I don't think that it you know, really could be considered the wrestling business is hot because aside from the wrestling fans, the general public doesn't give a shit. When the wrestling business is hot, the general public wants to watch it. This is, you know, your Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania area. This is your uh, attitude era. And I, I, from my experiences and what I know about, you know, traveling the world, culture, and the wrestling business, I think it's a bit of a facade and people are living in a fairy tale land based on what they see on the internet. Sam, would you think that, or would you agree with me that that still that there's some crossover that that can be parlayed or can be compared to uh, like the the Hulk Hogan era or even like let's say the Attitude era right now because of Ronda Rousey and and because of uh, like like people like her that have bled over from different markets uh, into like the mainstream spotlight with WWE because it, it seems like at least within the past two years that there has been a resurgence in like 
the mass amount of media interest or just the, the, the amount of work out there. Once again, I'm not talking about pay scale. Not The, the pay scale has it's, been... It, I, I would say yes and no, but it's almost, in my opinion, um, it's almost like wrestling has evolved into being like karate. You know, mm. karate now, any town in any country all over the place, on, all over the planet, you can find a karate school and you can go take karate classes on Tuesday nights. And then you can have your karate exhibition on Saturday nights, but you have to pay to play. Yeah. That's kind of where we are now. You know, it, it's almost like, you know, young wrestlers have zero chance of making it or, you know, they're not even ever going to be in an experience to get any better unless they spend money to get those experiences. Oh yeah. You know, I hate it. I hate it because it's cost me, you know, years of, of work that I should have been getting. But now, you know, people fly themselves to Japan or fly themselves to Mexico and, you know, get these opportunities because they're willing to spend money. Whereas, you know, a promoter now doesn't have to look as hard or spend as much money as he used to because now there's a thousand people that are just, you know, doing wrestling as a hobby. And like I said, basically paying to play. But as far as being mainstream and, and, and comparing it anything to like the Hulk Hogan era, I, I think it's just, you know, a bit ridiculous because in the Hulk Hogan era, you know, the entire world would stop on Saturday nights once a month for Saturday night's main event. And people talked about it Monday morning and got excited. It was relevant, uh, you know, conversational United States, whereas now, you know, it might be you watch Total Divas or, or, you know, you, you get a retweet that has a meme with Brock Lesnar on it. You know, it, you know it's there, but generally people aren't banging down the doors to be a part of the wrestling business other than the actual wrestling fans that are already in it. Right. Well, let's touch on what you just mentioned because I was in Japan. I was a I was a stalwart in Japan for four years between 2010 to 2014. I was Japanese champion twice, once for Smash and then once for WNC. These are uh, Tajiri's companies there. I worked for All Japan during that time also um, and had the pleasure also. I, I, actually, I wrestled one of my biggest influences or, or, or let's say idols of all time, Keiji Muto. I'm sure that uh, you've wrestled with him too. And uh, is one of the biggest highlights of my career during that time. But uh, the, the point being that I'm making here is that, that uh, after that 2000, right around 2013, 2014, I noticed this trend starting to take place in Japan, which killed the wrestling business there. Japan used to be a, a haven for, for work, a haven for wrestlers to go to, guys like, uh, let's say, Stan Hansen, even Bart Gunn, who never made it in WWE, got majorly over uh, as, as far as having a lot of work for all Japan uh, back in the, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. So um, the wrestling business there changed around 2013-ish, I would say. And I think that Zero One started this trend when they started doing these, what they called world tryouts. And that meant that a guy could fly himself in, get get noticed by the company. They'd, they'd do like a tryout demo kind of thing, you know, that they'd wrestle on one of the shows, get paid a nominal fee. They'd sleep on a dojo floor somewhere. And then uh, the company would never use them again. You know, they come in once, one, once and you're done. And this started to translate to other companies that started to pick up on this, where they'd have guys come in, these gaijins who want to say that they want to put on their CV, I've worked in Japan and be in the marks that they are, that they pay their own way there, hoping to get booked again. And I've seen it ha- happen before that a lot of these guys, 95, 90 plus percent of them 
uh, never come back. They're, it's like the company, they'll, it's like free work for the freaking company. Why should they pay to bring you in after that? You've already showed that you're not worth it. That's, that's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. Um, it, it's definitely been a thing. Uh, the thing about Japan for years, you know, it was prestigious because it was the best pay back yeah. in the 1970s or eighties. Nobody gave a shit about coming over and, you know, buying comic books and, and, uh, you know, Japanese culture. They wanted to come to Japan because you were getting 15 to 20 grand a week, you know, or a month for a tour. These guys were kicking ass. So you had to be the best to get invited to Japan. And you wanted to work there. It was prestigious because you got paid well. Yeah. So if you're taking that factor out of it, if, if you're going to work in Japan and it's going to cost you money, what the hell is prestigious about that? But like I said, generally, you know, most people in the wrestling business don't know the true wrestling business. They know what it is now. And it's that pay to play, you know, let's go be wrestlers because there's a wrestling school in town. That's, you know, it, it's just a different concept. Um, it's hurt a lot of the wrestling companies here in Japan, you know, some of them did it, you know, as because it, it does, it seems like a good idea. You know, you save your money, you have your cake and eat it too. You get foreign wrestlers and, and, you know, they're coming in and you're putting them on the show. But I have always been, you know, a firm believer uh, uh, as a wrestler and a promoter myself, you have to pay for your talent. You have to pay the talent what they're worth. You cannot nickel and dime a professional wrestling event because people do not. Your John Q. public that doesn't live and die by wrestling knows the difference between good wrestling and bad wrestling. So when these guys are bringing in, you know, the the gaijin or the Americans that are coming over that are five foot six, that you know are flipping around, the Japanese public never wanted to see that. They want to see the Hulk Hogan's and Bruiser Brodies, not little guys that try to be like Dean Malenko. You know, Dean Malenko's and Chris Benoit's, these guys were fantastic in Japan, you know, but they put in the work to get there. They didn't have to come and do it, you know, and say, oh, I'm short. I can't make it in America. I'll go live in Japan. They were invited because they worked harder than everyone else. And most young wrestlers, you know, don't ever remember that part of the story. Yeah. I mean, th this is all like uh, reminding me. I'm, I mean, I, I, I dabble in pro wrestling uh, other than uh, being a referee i guess i don't uh, make any uh, effort to slam myself on the mat these days but uh, i am a musician i've been a musician for my whole life uh, up to this point i guess since 10 years old i maybe not my whole life literally but anyway and uh, i find the parallels i've always found parallels between professional wrestling and uh, independent musicians and even uh, 100% yeah it is it, it it is it's indie rock and roll, and, and I mean, wrestling, we are rock stars when it's done right, but basically, the, imagine that, you know, if you, imagine if Madison Square Garden opened up the conference room on the third level, that's just a tiny little floor, and for a for thousand dollars, your band play there. Exactly. You could spend a thousand dollars, go play there, and then you're going to put all over your social media, he just played at the garden. There you go. That is not the same as being a contracted, you know, a musician on a label that's got on tour that played the garden. But, you know, living in the world we live in where, you know, people basically get to choose the information they want to li read and believe, you know, people, they don't see the forest through the trees and they think, you know, 
wrestling in a small little closet in Tokyo is the same as getting paid very well to be on a tour with All Japan or New Japan. That's that's right, and I mean, uh, how how tempting would it be for like a young wrestler, let's say three years, two years even, into the business that that is showing quite a lot of talent, that would like you know get that little carrot dangled in front of the face of hey, uh, you want to come over here, pay your ticket, and uh, we'll see how you do, and you can wrestle in Japan or in Mexico or you know somewhere it's, in Europe. It's very tempting. It's very tempting because there's so many wrestlers and there's so few true pros around. There's so many people that are, you know, easily influenced because that is the culture. They're friends that have never done anything. Their trainer has never done anything. You know, they, they've never been around the real wrestling business that they say, yeah, it's a good idea. You should go, you should go do it. And it's almost not their fault. It's just a faulty wrestling industry because, you know, it, it's, they they would never be privy to the the right side of the information because you know all they do is their local hometown or or you know certain independents. Um, I found that like you know myself, I, I would always be the first one to tell someone don't do it, don't go. You're going to cheapen yourself. Wait, you know because if you're actually talented and you have the drive, you will get there. You know it's taken me ten years of wrestling and I. I, I tell you, you know, from the bottom of my heart, nobody ha has studied and watched more Japanese wrestling than I have. I was a fat kid. I was a virgin until I was 19. I spent more time watching Tenru, Misawa, Kawada, Liger, Hayabusa, everybody for hours. I'm like a damn encyclopedia about Japanese wrestling. And I wanted it. And I wanted it. But every opportunity came and went and passed me over because I wanted to do it right. I was invited to come and live in a dojo and spend my way, you know, and it took a lot longer than it should have. You know? However, when I got here, you know, I've got here and I've been able to do it right. I was invited by Ultimo Dragon, you know, and, and that right there put a stamp of approval on me that kind of put me in a level over here. You know, I'm never going to, I'm never going to step down from, you know, I, I was brought in as a foreigner, as a gaijin star and I get taken care of. So I, I hope to God everybody can follow their dreams and get to Japan, but get to Japan, you know, work for Japan. Don't, you know, don't buy your degree online, if that makes sense. That's the thing. It's like I can absolutely understand what you mean with now your, your um, story about Ultimo Dragon, Yoshihiro Asai opening the door for you, because that was the same for me back in 2010. I brought uh, Tajiri over to Finland for the first time. Uh, we had a match. It was like a 20-minute uh, real classic. I mean, we just gelled. For so, for whatever reason, the magic was really there, and we just, you know, you know th that feeling when you have chemistry with somebody and you don't know ahead of time whether or not you're going to mesh. and But we just did. Oh, yes. Yeah, and we just did. And magic. Yeah, exactly. And then Tajiri went online after our match, and he said, there's this guy in Finland. He's got amazing charisma. He's like, the number one word that he used about me was charisma. And, and he said to me that, you know, you want to go to Japan? I said, yeah, I do. And, and, and the thing is that out of that one booking that I got for uh, Tajiri here in Finland, he got me 18 tours for his companies. You know, and the thing is exactly. that... And the thing is that... Uh, and at, th at that point, at that point, you had been working, you know, 25 years or 20 years as, as it was. So, you know, it, it might have taken a lot longer for you to get there, but you did it right. You know, that's all I'm saying for young wrestlers. 
if it's something you want, you'll get there. There is no limit to what anybody can attain as long as they're willing to work to get it. That's the thing. Yeah, I'd been working there up to up to that point for 16 years, and then you know that was my sweet 16 was Japan. <laughs> I always tell people, you know, they they talk about sweet 16 in in life in general, you know, being that uh, certain special age for people. But for me, sweet 16 was Japan. But anyway, the thing is that um, that that uh, would you agree with me, Sam? That the the reason that pro wrestling is languishing, as far as the word pro should really be earned i think like you know back in the day you had to be a, like a professional for 10 years before you could even tote a t- uh, like a fanny pack before you like with the other yeah. big boys that you you had the honor or the let's say the the privilege of, of, of like you wearing a fanny pack around your waist you had to be in the business for 10 years well the thing is nowadays <laughs> anybody can just say i'm a pro wrestler and it's it's so demeaning because you know these kids uh, i think that and i like like, actually, try to reflect with me now. Where have we gone wrong? Where has our culture, our professional wrestling industry culture gone wrong? Because I think that where we really fucked up is is that the traditions, the etiquette, the, the how could you say, it? like the, the way that the pro wrestling business works has not been passed down. It is not translated to the current crop of young wrestlers coming up in the business. And that's why these marks are flying themselves over to places like Japan and Mexico and paying their own way with a three month visa and working for free. That's why we have this dilemma. So where did we go wrong? The the problem, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that uh, people are, they're always still taking care of themselves. Uh, We're, we're such an ego driven business that, you know, people always put themselves ahead of business and that's, what's always you know, screwed us over. I believe that if, if wrestling didn't have, you know, jealousy or politics, you know, we would be WWE would probably be as famous as the Simpsons, you know? Yeah. But every time that there's a new superstar coming around, all it takes is one of the agents doesn't like him and they, you know, put the stops on it. And then you go through your, you know, your, they say peaks and peaks and valleys. You know, I, I truly believe good pro wrestling doesn't need to have any valleys. You just have, you know, your next star to bridge the gap. But, you know, we, we live in a, a wrestling industry where a lot of the old dogs don't ever want to let their spot, you know, light up. So that's kind of hurt it a little bit. That's why the, the generations haven't, you know, it hasn't spread on because of, you know, egos. And um, a lot of it, too, has come down to uh, it's the social media age. It's the millennial age. It's the people that have Twitter. And like you said about instant gratification, the problem is it's a lot easier for somebody to look at a six second clip of something quite athletic and say, I can do that. In fact, I can do an extra flip. And then they're going to get more retweets on that. They don't watch a whole 10 minute match and realize that these guys can't lock up. They can't throw a punch. They can't kick. They can't take bumps because you know, the instant gratification is easier. And in a world, you know, where, where it's the blind leading the blind 10,000 wrestling fans are going to tell someone he's great because he can do a shooting star press. Now that guy's going to think I'm good wrestler. I'm ready for Japan. Let me go. And it's just, you know, again, it's, I always feel like it, it always tends to weed itself out. Um, You know, I might not have the biggest reputation. You'll probably get less listeners and viewers on, on this, this podcast than you will, you know, for a lot of other guys. However, I'll be there, you know, I'll be here in 20 years. I'll be a guy that, when this latest indie buzz is around, you know, done, I will have a job somewhere. I will be working and it's because I know it right. Whereas all the other guys are going to come up with excuses why they never made it. 
And the truth is you didn't make it because you're not a wrestler. You're a fan, you know, you're a fan that copies and, and you try to get famous and, and that's it. Everybody gets their 15 minutes of fame. And now everybody, you know, everybody gets it even faster on, on, you know, social media, but it's even shorter. You know, now it might be everybody gets their eight minutes of fame because it doesn't last nearly as long. Yeah, there you go. And uh, if it's all right, I'll, I'll kind of pull away from this subject now because I've been really in, wanting to uh, talk to you about this idea of crowd control or, uh, I guess, playing to a room, if for lack of a better term. But uh, you seem to be quite a master at this, and this is um, something that I think you even uh, try to teach and, and really uh, share the knowledge to younger pro wrestlers and for me, as a as on the fan side of the fence here, I think this is one of the things that is lacking because professional wrestling, to me, is a live show, a, a live contest, or however, but it is is a live thing. So during a live thing, you can't really base everything on script or choreography. Of course. Uh, so I I will go. I will go ahead and toot my own horn on this one. I think that is my best quality as a performer is my ability to liven up an audience. And and there's something now. It is. It's so hard to find. And and uh, it's kind of something. It's almost not fair. You know, I can't even say it's something that I taught myself. It's something, you know, due to my upbringing. It's almost innate. You know, my my father has a good personality. My brother has a good personality. I've been able to communicate with people and talk. I've never been a shy human being. So, you know, that's always helped my cause, but, you know, uh, a really fantastic wrestler from the United Kingdom. I'm sure Starbucks, you know, I'm talking about James Mason. Oh, I work he with pulled James. Me into a, oh, yeah. He pulled me into a room one day and he said that, uh, he says that my best asset is I'm a live event wrestler. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but he said that you're the guy that, you know, makes people go home saying that was fun at a show because you control a room and you can, you know, get, get the, it's like being a, a, a front man in a rock and roll band. Sometimes the, the rock band, you know, he might not be the best singer, you know, look at this. This is why let's say uh, Guns N' Roses might be a little bit more famous than let's say Warrant was, you know, or, or Guns N' Roses is more famous than uh, 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 Poison because, you know, the talent is there, the music's there, but Axel is a front man. You know, he has that control, which is why there's stadiums. You know, that, don't get me wrong, Poison and Warrant are still both big bands, but, you know, there are no Guns N' Roses because of that crowd control. Mm-hmm. And that that's something that I've been able to, you know, I can't, I try to tell people how to handle it. Um, there's tricks, there's things you can do, there's things you can teach, and, you know, how and when. But a lot of it, you know, comes down to just being naturally a goofball and trying to make people, Ah, whenever you can, and that's something you know I've been lucky and blessed to be able to do my whole career. Yeah, and again, it, it's uh, that crazy parallel to uh, rock and roll or the music industry, anyway. That uh, you know, you could have the most talented uh, musicians of all time, but if they don't have a stage presence, you know, people are going to forget how good they are. And uh, or even if you do have that crazy stage presence, people forget how bad they were and just think, wow, that, well, was, exactly. that was a huge amount of fun. And right now we're at the point where basically 80% of pro wrestling is just guitar solos. You know, <laughs> these guys might be, they might be completely, you know, unbelievable with these shreds and they can play a guitar. 
But if they can't hold a rhythm, they would never be a member of a band, which would get signed and make them true money. There you so, go. I mean, I, I can write a good book. Uh, I, could, I could write parallels between, uh, you know, rock and roll and the adult entertainment industry for pro wrestling. So I think they, they both kind of parallel in many ways. Yeah, interesting. And uh, I guess you yourself don't uh, shy away from controversy controversy or uh, kind of a political incorrectness. Uh, do you find that uh, that wrestling needs to have kind of like a non-PC culture, that it needs to be a little bit pushing the envelope in those kind of uh, touchy subjects, or should it be? Of course. Of yeah. course. I, I truly believe you, you need to have villains. You need to have, you know, does The Walking Dead play political correctness? You know, does does uh, Game of Thrones, are they politically correct? Why is it that these major million-dollar productions get to, you know, walk a line of what's correct and wrong, you know, for the sake of entertainment? Why is it that, you know, people know everybody is, is so, you know, they're on their high horse saying, we know it's a work, we know it's not a shoot, and everybody wants to say that they're in on, you know, on the show, and then they get pissed off whenever you, they get swerved. You know, it, it makes me kind of angry. I got in a bit of trouble in the UK and don't get me wrong. I, I screwed up. I, you know, it should have known better. I stepped in it, but, uh, you know, I, I wish that, that wrestling fans weren't as, as sensitive. I wish they, you know, could get involved. They, they don't want their, they don't want to lose themselves. In it. They want to, you know, be in control of it. So, yeah. I mean, what about the uh, Mexican fans? I mean, uh, this is kind of a, Oh man, Mexican fans are fantastic. They're 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 great. They know it's the same thing. They're the ones that you know. They're the same people that will come up and scream their heads off and flip me off and go absolutely nuts. And then in the back, they say thank you. Hey man, that was great. Thank you. I totally forgot that it was a show. You know that was a blast. That's what they want, and that's why you know in two years there, I became you know one of the hottest heels they've had last you know decade because they appreciate the art of a heel. They know that the heel is supposed to be hated in order to love the good guy. But, uh, you know, certain markets don't agree with that. Um, it's, I don't, I don't look for, you know, I don't ever think what's controversial, what's going to get me attention because it's, you know, taboo. I would never do that. You know, I, I am talented based on what I do. Um, however, I still think that, uh, you know, certain things in the realm of professional sports, you know, need to be a little bit organic, you know. And uh, say, for instance, if you watch a football game, you know, the referee, the referee gets yelled at a player and he says, hey, you, you jerk, that was a terrible call. No, he doesn't say that. He says, look here, you mother, you got that wrong. You know, they, they don't, if this were what it is, you know, us as, as six foot four and big jacked up testosterone filled men, you know, we tend to have different reactions that aren't necessarily confined to a PG realm. By the way, Sam, what do you think of like nowadays is I find that uh, the, the product, like I'm talking about the mainstream, even the indies, they're picking up on this social justice bullshit that I, I, I term it personally. This is my own view. Of course, I can't stand it. Like when they bring in things like the, the, the political subjects of the day, whether it's like body shaming or whether it's the gay agenda or, or whatever it is, but they're pushing this into pro wrestling. I've seen it now for the last two years at WrestleMania. You see the rainbow flag getting toted around you. They put it on Finn Baylor's t-shirt and then they put it on uh, one of the 
girls in the women's rumble there. What's her name? Sonia Deville. They put it in her back pocket this year. Um, and, and it's like, then they had uh, the body shaming thing with uh, Nia Jax the year before against Alexa Bliss. That was the main storyline behind that match. How do you feel about like uh, pro wrestling now co-towing at least, you know, in, in many facets, it seems to be that they're, that they have to get that, that minority into it, kind of like the sitcoms where you always got to have that one gig. Yeah, I, I, I think they just have to kind of find what works for them. Uh, I don't really like it or dislike it. I'm kind of indifferent. They got to figure out what's going to make money for them. And if that's the best idea they have, then, you know, they got to go for it. I don't think it, you know, I, I, the sad thing is we live in a very, you know, um, a screwed up world right now where everybody wants thing. Everybody is offended and, and pretty upset about the little things. Um, you know, I've lived all over the world. I've met a million people. And there's one thing I can tell you is everybody is the same. You know, everybody is good. People open the doors for old ladies, you know, every country they want to introduce you to your family. You know, they're not, not everybody, the majority of people, you know, 99% of the world are good people. You know, black, white, gay, straight, everybody is the same. We all, you know, look the same on the inside. So it, it almost feels like the fact that you draw attention to these things, even though, you know, it, it's kind of um, self-righteousness, you're saying, you're wrong because you said this. Well, the fact that you're bringing it up, you know, is giving it legs anyway. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know what I mean? If, if you just let it go and we all live the life and we're just, you know, do what's right. Quit watching the TV. Quit hating, hating each other for stupid stuff. Mm. You know, I think the world would be a bit better place. But you know, everybody wants something. Everybody wants to be angry about something. And uh, you know, I, I can't do much to change it. So I just try to, you know, I, I like to make people mad through my character. You know, and do my best to make sure they know that it is part of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, because I am. I, I have traveled the world, and I. I just, you know, have friends in every walk of life, every style of person. And I wish we could all be the same, but, uh, you know, it's just, I like, just try to give it back through pro wrestling. Exactly. I, the, the, the thing with my point being there that I find that like now with the world being what it is and the fact that we live in this super touchy day and age, as you just mentioned, uh, where everybody is offended all the time. It's, you know, the old saying sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me does not apply anymore. And, and it's really sad because we, I think that our societies we become pussified. I think that people, when, the, when you're offended at absolutely everything, uh, there's a word in Sweden that they use for this. It's called cranked, that I'm cranked. You, you know, it's like, it means that I'm offended all the time. It's like people will use it like a hair trigger saying that cranked, I'm, I'm cranked. And uh, I, I find that like people nowadays and uh, with social, like I guess the social slant of things and, and uh, be, the media being what it is, that people are so trigger happy uh, to, to pull like, at these social justice strings that it's like, I don't, I don't find that this personally has a place in pro wrestling because in pro wrestling, it's always been counterculture. It's always been kind of like the bastard child of sports. It's always been, um, how could I say this? The the word that I'm looking for right now, but it's, it's been anarchy, right? Pro wrestling is anarchy. And the thing is that it should be, it's kind of like rock and roll that the rock and roll nowadays is so PC Everybody's so afraid right. of getting defamed on Instagram or somebody like black blasting them on uh, black labeling them on um, on social media that they're just riding that middle fence, right? That they, they, they don't want the it because, it, because back in the it, day, sex. In the, my opinion, yeah. 
Go ahead, go ahead. Finish. Yeah, yeah. Finish so what I was saying is back in the day, the Sex Pistols would never have risen to fame and been as successful as they were if they weren't counterculture. And and it's like, let's say rock and roll in general, Motley Crue, they just had that movie, The Dirt, come out, right? Based on their book. And the thing is that like even them, you're thinking the whole time, how can I stick it? to counterculture or, or like not to counter, but how can I stick it to the culture of the day or the, the general, you know, spirit of the day? Because that's really what's going to make, uh, like something like pro wrestling, which is already by nature, uh, it's already adverse. It's already a bastard child. So ride that horse in the direction that it's going. Don't try to be PC. Right. 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 Well, you're, you know, you're definitely correct about all those issues, but I just think it's the way society is here today. I think most of the time people aren't actually offended. I just think, you know, in the social media era, people are so they're constantly in search of social gratification. Yeah. So if they like something, if, if they like something, you know, if, if you do something wrong and they think it's funny, people will hate them. But if they judge you for doing something wrong, they're going to be amongst the crowd. They're going to be, you know, amongst people that say, yeah, yeah, he's wrong. He's, it becomes cool. It becomes, you know, if you, if you liked uh, Maroon 5 Super Bowl performance, you get five likes on, on Instagram and social media. If you hated it, you get 25 likes. And that's just where our world is right now. I think it's something that, you know, generally people, you know, are becoming wise to it. I think, I think it will be a fad that dies off, you know, because uh, through my experience, you know, you, you, I've, I've got myself in some trouble and, you know, other, other than getting in trouble, you know, oh, he's in trouble. Okay, well, what's the trouble? People are mad at him, okay? You know, uh, it's, there's no real repercussion for offending people. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty of the world is, is we have, you know, uh, of, you know, living in a free country, you have freedom of speech, you know, and, and right now it, it becomes people are upset and angry about these things. But I think, you know, as time goes on, people are going to say, hey, do you remember when we used to complain all the time about other people's behavior? You know, I think that'll just die away. I just think hopefully people realize we're all the same. And, you know, the people that complain and judge people for, you know, mistakes are, are you know, basically committing the same heinous acts that the people that made the mistakes were, you know, mm-hmm. judging somebody's judging somebody, you know, just because you're judging somebody that was judging doesn't mean you're not you know, any better than they are for making their you know, terrible mistake. So it's it's the direction of society, and I think uh, hopefully it'll clear itself up. But if not, I uh, I just do my best to to be a horrible human being on TV and explain <laughs> myself afterwards. Yeah, I wanted to uh, get into I guess kind of jumping with that topic a little bit, but uh, since you've wrestled all over the world to countless different crowds and different people and. You know, we everybody knows. I mean, the the stigma of the Japanese audience, so whether it is to, you know, how they perceived Kiss and Motley Crue for the first time, or you know that they're really respectful in a way, quiet and clapping uh, for you know well performed things, and in that as it pertains to professional wrestling, and then uh, the fans in Mexico and and how they differ from the United States and the fans in the UK and. All that, but where have you found this kind of a similarity uh, that that these kind of groups, uh, Japanese fans, Mexican fans, American fans, and say UK fans or European fans, do they all have their own way to, uh, I guess, be fans at at uh, events? 
Uh, yeah, they all, I mean, you definitely have to change up little details, you know, and just kind of go to the pace that they like and, you know, cater to them a little bit. But there's one constant, you know, uh, characters. People like characters. That's why, you know, the Avengers or, or Superman, the Avengers, Batman, all these, they're in every country, every culture, everywhere you go, and they're the top selling toys and merchandise and everything. You know, people, the worst thing you could ever do is as an American, you know, I'm a six foot four American pro wrestler and I'm, I'm a charismatic 80s style. You know, I give you classic American pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. Why would I go to the UK and try to do British wrestling? Why would I come to the, to, to, to Japan and try to be strong style? Why would I go to Mexico and try to high fly? People don't want that. They want the American to be the American. And that's why I've been able to have longevity because, you know, I've been able to understand I can adapt my game and learn how to survive and, and do work with the people that that's their style. However, you know, I, I'm very organic and I'm Sam Adonis, the character. And, and it's, uh, you know, whether you speak my language or not, you can watch my performance and understand who Sam Adonis is by the way I move, by the way I walk, by the way I talk and by the way I punch. So that's kind of the gist of all that. Right, and and so what you're kind of going, I guess, uh, I I know you've been asked this probably a countless amount of times, but we'll just touch on it a little bit. This uh, the uh, Donald Trump supporting idea, where in Mexico, I guess Donald Trump is not a popular guy. But uh, how did that just come about? Was it just something that uh, seemed natural for you that hey, nobody else is kind of picking on that, and maybe I should uh, maybe I should fly that flag. No, I didn't think about that for a second. I was just being myself. I got a picture of him airbrushed on my tights because I get Rick Rude style tights. I'm always thinking of new ideas. So I was the only American in a tournament. And I said, what's American? Okay, Statue of Liberty, $1 bill. I'll put Donald Trump on it. It'd be funny. And the reaction was just big. So yeah. uh, I, I was using a flag for Brian Dixon in the United Kingdom for four years every day coming out the room with a flag. So I said, what if I come out with a flag with this picture on it? And it just took off. So that's it. Well, the it, thing is that I remember that. my my old coach Lance Storm back in the day said that uh, to even have a chance in pro wrestling, like because the thing is, I mean, of course, we got so many guys in the business that are chomping at the bit, wanting to make it. Uh, looking for opportunities, sending out emails, trying to get booked. Now, the thing is, to even have a chance, uh, Lance said that you have to have three things. And I think these are also parlayable to rock and roll, like let's say to a front man in rock and roll. You need the look. You have to have two two of three things, right? Well, well the things, yeah. So There's it's, three it's, things you need yeah. that you can't have. It's very rare to find. I know it's, I think Bret Hart said the same thing, but go ahead. Yeah, so you, you need the look. So that's your face, your body, and your your tights, whatever your the the look, the visual look of what people see you as. Then you need the skills, the actual in ring skills. Now, whether that's the mat wrestling skills, the all around skills, the brawling, the punching, striking, some of the flying, whatever it is that is your shtick, uh, that that you can own, that you can like, you can own that shit. That is, uh, you're gonna need that, and then you're also gonna need something called charisma because without charisma you cannot connect you cannot either make people care about you or for you so in other words you have to have them either love or hate you but not in the middle and and if you can have if you can have all three of these you have a definitive chance at getting noticed uh getting picked up on the radar having other guys vouch for you and if you especially if you're a good guy on top of that you have to have a a good character be reliable and shit like that but by the same token if you don't have these three things 
you don't really have a snowball chance in hell because there's so many other guys I, in the business who've got these three things. Would you agree? I would say, I would say now, yes, it's probably more difficult. Um, but I, I've always heard, I want to say it was either Bret Hart or Jim Ross said the same thing, but you can get away with two of the three. You, you need two of the three, but to have all three would make you a superstar. Mm-hmm. But now, like, you know, somebody, you might be all athleticism, you know, or they can't talk. You might be all talk, but you suck in the ring. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, I totally agree with you. But uh, um, I think at the end of the day, you just have to be, there's a fine line between, you know, crazy and stupid that I walk every day. You know, the, the, the opportunities and, and things I've done to get as far as I have, you know, if I put this much effort into any other line of work, I, I would be a multimillionaire by now, but it's pro wrestling. I love it. I'm sick for it. And, uh, you know, I'm going to keep doing it and make a little noise. All right. And, uh, I guess we're kind of running out a little bit of time, but, uh, I know we, we talked a lot about this and you've touched on it all through the, uh, the talk here, but, um, for, for a young guy or gal or whomever wanting to get into professional wrestling right now, do you have any kind of words of wisdom that you might uh, bestow on them before they take that first Learn training it. day? St- study it. Understand what it is before you want to do it. Because 99% of the people now have no idea what it is. They only know what it is. Not, they only know what they see, not what the origin is or why it is. Um, I always say that, you know, a doctor, you can't be a heart surgeon without knowing the entire anatomy of the, of the human body. You have to understand science and medicine in order to be a doctor. Pro wrestling is the same. You can't say, Hey, I want to be like John Cena. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that. You need to understand where it come from, where it's going and what made it this long, because, you know, there's certain intangibles that are always going to be there long after this wave is going to go. And I can tell you, you know, I can say right here, right now, 95% of the people that are hot in this wrestling business right now won't be around 10 years from now. They come and go. Right now, it's just it's a good period for online wrestling and people have attention. But, you know, look at, this, look at how many of the guys that were so over on the indies in 2004 and five that if they didn't make it to WWE, you know, where are they now? There's a hundred of them that just don't even wrestle anymore. Yep. Because that's just the way it is. So there's going to be guys always coming. There's guys with talent. You know, there's people, you know, they'll, they'll make it and the business will survive. But, you know, it always evolves and changes. So, you know, understanding what it is and what the history of it is how you'll be able to weather the storm and always have a position in the wrestling business. The thing is that I remember that uh, when I was working in Japan, that steady four-year period for Tajiri, he took me aside one time. It was uh, on on this one leg, this tour uh, between, uh, was it between Nagoya and Tokyo? I think it was some, some point past Osaka. We, we stopped at a bus stop, and the tour bus stopped, and it was early morning hours, and Tajiri took me aside. He said uh, that, uh, you know, um, in Japan, that... The, the people when they come to a wrestling show here uh they you know to to, to spend their hard-earned yen that one two times a week they don't want to see regular joe schmoes they don't want to see people like them what they want to see is king kong versus godzilla now uh, exactly with with this in mind uh just as we close up here um 
would you what would you give as advice the number one piece of advice you'd give to a wrestler a young wrestler who wants to make it in the industry to have a career in this industry even in modern day uh, in the in the day and age that we live in uh, but the number one attribute above all things above all else what would it be from San, from Sam Adonis step outside of your comfort zone do what scares you do what do what other people aren't doing and whether it's dyeing your hair hot pink you know, I'm lucky I'm six four two fifty, but you know, if I was five ten, you know, why would I want to try to be like everybody else? Every cookie cutter indie guy now has kick pads, you know, a pair of trunks. They do super kicks, leg slaps, and Canadian destroyers. Step outside of your character. Step, step outside of your comfort zone and try to be Hulk Hogan. You know, dye your hair, be crazy, do stuff that, you know, maybe the other wrestlers are going to laugh at, but you know, don't care about what the wrestlers think. Care about what the boss thinks and care about what the fans think. So, you know, make yourself noticed. That's it. Whether you got to dye your hair, cut yourself long, get tattooed, you know, invest in yourself because you're, all, you know, you're a product that you've got to sell to, to the rest of the world. And you got to figure out how to get people to notice you to make money. And one more thing I remember that uh, as we close up shop here, that I, I remember being with you on this tour of Germany back in, uh, was it 2014? We actually had a six-man match in, in Hanover back then. You probably recall that. Um, and uh, we were at the airport, and I remember talking to you, and, and I asked you at that point that uh, I think that was just around the time that you were going to either go to Mexico or you were just, you, you'd just gone there, one or the other, but... Uh, you said that, uh, like, as far as getting work in Mexico, uh, the number one thing, learn how to base. So you got to learn how to catch and base. Uh, so now for anybody, because you're you're one of the top gaijins in the past 20 years who really made it big in Mexico. Uh, for any wrestler out there looking to break into the Mexican market, give your words of wisdom as we close up here. Oh, Mexico is its own thing, man. Um, I really got lucky there because of the experience I had from WWE and uh, and Europe. I kind of kind of got there at the right time, and they needed somebody. Um, again, just step outside of your comfort zone. Um, you, you you have to study. You have to know what it is. A lot of things that's helped me this whole time is being able to, you know, sit down with the office guys, and and if you mention names from the '60s and '70s that these old guys could, wouldn't imagine a white dude from Pittsburgh would know they have a respect for it. So they open up their doors a little bit more to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've seen so much of the wrestling and I've watched it, but, you know, being accepted, uh, accepting of somebody's culture and their style, you know, they're a little bit more willing to help you along the way. Yeah. So, you know, be, being, being, uh, you know, just a friendly person and doing my best to work hard, I could go to the Mexicans and say, Hey, can you come and meet me after work today? We're going to try some of this. Of course, you know, people respect, respect, you know, they, they respect when you're respectful to them. So exactly. Uh, Mexico and, and that's Mexico. That's Japan. That's anything. Yep. I agree. I agree. Okay, Sam, so, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been really enlightening and also a blast having you on shooting the shiz at this week. And, uh, I, I hope to see you sometime here in Europe once again. Maybe this this year you'll be here, and uh, maybe if we're lucky, we'll have you over for Slam Wrestling Finland here in the country of Finland also. One of these days I'll see you again. We're, you're, you're always around somewhere. I am as well. So uh, whoever's listening, please follow my social media accounts. My Instagram and Twitter are at Real Sam Donis. 
And uh, yeah, just thank you for anybody that supports me. If you hate me, I'm sorry. Uh, hopefully you understand a little bit more who I am and why I do what I do. And maybe you'll like me a little bit more. So uh, thank you, Starbucks. And I appreciate it. And I'll see you somewhere down the line. All right. God bless, man. I right, man. Later. Skip is the oldest sports supplement brand out of Europe since the 1970s. Engineered by professors, doctors, and scientists at Sweden's leading medical university, Karolinska Institute, Skip products are pharmaceutical grade, meaning that they are the highest quality available on the market today. Meaning they work. If you're after results, you wouldn't put low-octane gas in a turbocharged high-end sports car engine, would you? Neither would you put junk-quality supplements into your body as an athlete. All Skip products are first tested amongst top athletes to ensure their efficiency. Choose the best. Skip Nutrition. That's skip.fi. S-K-I-P dot F-I. Red Skull Hot Sauce. Fiery sauce focused on flavor. Made by a Canadian in Helsinki. Awesome sauce in a sweet-ass skull bottle. That's Red Skull Hot Sauce. R-E-D-D Skull Hot Sauce. On Facebook and Instagram. Are you looking to boost your social media game to the next level? Then go to at Earl Creative Media on Facebook and Instagram for an affordable, professional, creative content provider that can suit your needs. That's Earl Creative Media. Media on Facebook and Instagram. So that was Sam Adonis, and uh, we're talking now about one of the guys that actually made it, like honestly, honest to God, made it in the wrestling business as a internationally viable, I would say, superstar. Yeah, and he he definitely did it his own way. Found his his own kind of calling there. Didn't didn't take the easy route anyway. No, no. And the thing is that I think that like what Sam he hit the nail on the head. He said that because of his love for the wrestling business, the fact that his father was a promoter, yeah, the fact that his family was in the wrestling business, that he grew up around the business, that there's a certain love and a passion for what you do. Therefore, you. You stay away from the shortcuts too. You know, it's like when you see other guys taking the shortcuts and trying to like hotshot their way to the top or whatever it is to get bookings. Yeah, uh, you take the long road because you know that there's more longevity. There's you, you'll have better sea legs, so to speak, mm. uh, as you pay your dividends, you pay your dues as you walk down that road of development. Yeah, and I think the the interesting thing I I always hear you know when when you ask somebody for advice you know. Like uh, as a say a, a young wrestler or a young musician or whomever, and they give you the the best advice they could ever give you. That it's like this is how I did it. This is how to be successful, and it's always insanely easier to say than to do. But mm-hmm. that's what makes it a professional industry. That's it. You could know all the tricks of the trade. You could know every way to get an audience riled up, but can you actually? harness them and do it because it's timing you know everybody knows to be a comedian you got to be funny oh Mm. that's the advice how you know Mm. you just got to be funny and find your own way to do it oh thanks yeah i'll I'll figure that out and the the ones that actually can do it are the professionals that's it and i think that the thing that what sam said just a second ago that uh, was one of the key notes at least from this this interview was the fact that um people around the world are generally and inherently the same 
and and I've seen this to be true also that uh, like let's say as I've traveled the world now I've got 22 countries and four continents over the past 25 years uh, I wish I had more of course I mean there's more coming up but you know be that as it may um, I've seen in my travels all these different cultures and I've never really changed my shtick yeah right and the thing is that when you know yourself who you are and what you represent. And secondly, uh, when you understand that everybody is generally built the same on the inside, the psychology of humanity mm, is the one. same. Yeah. Right? Um, there are certain things that, that are universal in the world. And, and some of those uh, apply to things like love and hate, like things that people find uh, like offensive or things that people... Uh, find likable mm. or whatever. There, there are certain traits uh, and certain things that people they're they're just universal. I mean, yeah. we can find them across all cultures. That's why I think that whether or not we talk about the the ancient Greeks and stories of like let's say ancient Achilles, yeah, or let's say uh, like stories of of uh, Odin and Thor here in the Nordics, right, or then the Grimm brothers fairy tales or whatever it might yeah. be, you know. They're, they resonate across all cultures, the lessons to be learned in these stories, whether it's Disney fairy tales or whatever, but yeah. they're popular across all cultures because what they're telling you in these stories are universal right. lessons. Yeah, exactly. How like Hans Christian Andersen's stories that have been written how long ago and they are just repackaged, re resold again now as new, yeah. yet it's entirely different uh, landscape of the world. How, however, they still speak in the same volumes. That's it. That's it. Very interesting stuff. Yeah. So this has been an incredibly uh, informative and educational uh, installment of Shooting the Shazam this yeah. week. And uh, this has been a public service announcement for all you young uns in the wrestling business to uh, urge you to get the right kind of schooling and the right kind of training. If you want to make it in this game that we call professional wrestling, you cannot just go to any old wrestling school that says somebody who says that I can teach you how to do this shit, <laughs> this shit, that, or whatever. <laughs> you know what the thing is that anybody can watch YouTube. Anybody can say, like Sam was saying, that you know you can do that 450 Firebird Splash, whatever, but then you don't know how to lock up. You mm. don't know how to throw a good punch. You don't know how to get upright. You don't know the psychology. You don't know how to move from move to move or, or like you don't know how to chain wrestle, counter wrestle, whatever. And that's all of these things, plus things like crowd control, like room control, like uh, etiquette, age-old yeah. etiquette. Because like, once again, the world, people in the world, they're they're the same inherently. It's like you can't, discount the lessons of the past that ha that have worked for years, for decades, maybe even for hundreds of years. Uh, you can't discount them and just say that because we live in this modern day and age of political correctness and all this bullshit, bullshizat, uh, that uh, somehow that things are different now. Mm. No, they're not. Yeah. They're not. The thing is that still these age-old truths hold themselves to be true, and you must work according to the, par the, to the parameters of the truth, uh, or then you will pay the price. That's it. Just the way it is. That's the way the world goes. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for shooting the shiz at with us this week. Get ready for WrestleAid coming up on the 29th of June in Rauma, Finland. Wrestlers from eight different countries, amongst them the the Japanese buzzsaw Yoshihiro Tajiri coming back to Finland. Ooh. Yeah, we've got Ivalice 
from yeah. Puerto Rico. She's coming. One of the top female wrestlers, an absolutely dynamic wrestler in the ring. Eva Lee's coming. We've got Shana from Portugal, the queen of Southside, oh. coming to defend that title if she still has it in June. Uh, we've got Sadie Gibbs, finally, oh, yeah. finally, Sadie, the amazing Grace Gibbs from the UK, one of the most fantastic female wrestlers you'll ever see, and uh, an incredible acrobat. She is a former gymnast. She will wow the crowds. Besides, she's a beautiful girl inside and out. She's coming to uh, Rama, Finland for WrestleAid. We've got uh, Chris Ridgway yeah. from the UK, one of the top shoot-style wrestlers today. Coming British in strong style, British I guess, right strong there. style. That's right. That's right. He's coming in. Matt Cross. Oh yeah, from Lucha Underground, the the son of Havoc. That's right. Right, and uh, he's coming in. We got so many superb, internationally renowned wrestlers coming in for WrestleAid, and the a part of the profits of this event will be going to help the Finnish Muscular Dystrophy Foundation here in Finland, the association called Lihastautilito, to help them with people suffering from ALS and Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which is a very noble cause, which you should be supporting too, because the thing is that to help these folks suffering from this these terrible illnesses uh, to participate in sports while they still can, even if they're in a wheelchair, that they can partake in things like, let's say, uh, wheelchair hockey. Yeah, you know things like this. Uh, it's it's a very noble cause. If you if if you were in the same position, if one of your loved ones was in the same position, would you uh, try to help them to still be mobile and do things while their body still allows them to? I think you would. Yeah. So therefore, come on out, support the event. You can find the website at wrestleaid.fi. That's all one word together. That's wrestleaid. W-R-E-S-T-L-E-A-I-D dot F-I. Also go to slamsports.eu. That's S-L-A-M-S-P-O-R-T-S dot E-U. And on Instagram, on uh, YouTube, and on Facebook. You can find us even on Twitter at all of those handles slash slamrest. That's S-L-A-M-W-R-E-S. Tickets are available right now through Ticketmaster Finland. Just go to ticketmaster.fi. Punch in WrestleAid, that's W-R-E-S-T-L-E-A-I-D. You will find tickets right now available for the event on June 29th in Rauma, Finland. That's on the west coast of Finland in the middle of summer. That's midsummer, ladies and gentlemen. It's beautiful. It's going to be held on the rooftop of an actual shopping center. That's right. The parking lot will be changed into a rooftop audience uh, section where there'll be there'll be rafters, ringside seats, the works. We'll, we're going to have Patagonia barbecue there. Oh, Just, I, I know those guys. That's the, that's amazing stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. it's Chilean barbecue. It's the only Chilean barbecue here in Finland. A guy, a Chinese guy. Uh, Kang Lee, yeah. I believe is his name, and I just talked to him yesterday. I, I secured the deal, uh, so he uh, yeah, he'll be coming really to Rama, offering the public come there hungry, don't eat ahead of time. I'm telling you, you're gonna love this stuff. Uh, one like we're talking about, very unique. I mean, it's it's like yeah. one of a kind. I'll uh, tell you, I, I definitely can vouch for that hundred percent. It's a that's uh, an incredible add on to this. Exactly. Festival. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so ladies and gentlemen, come there hungry for the Patagonia barbecue that's going to be offered that day. Uh, once again, get your tickets now. You can get them through Ticketmaster.fi for WrestleAid. Once again, Dylan, you want to wrap it up? Yeah, we got the definitely check out uh, Sam Adonis. He is a phenomenal wrestler. 
going to be for many years now as well. And um, we got shooting the shiz at on Instagram. You got to check out that too. And please check out our past episodes as well and give us some comments and thoughts and ideas, even if you don't agree. So this has been shooting the shiz at, and we'll come at you next week as well. And who knows what it's going to bring, but thanks again to Sam Adonis for joining us today. And thank you, Sir Starbuck for having the chats, but yeah, Let's uh, sign out, and we'll see you next week on Shoot the Shizat. <laughs>